It's another example of white people sucking the life and culture out of BIPSC communities. And, Get it? Yeah, because they're because va- they're vampires. next door talking about spooky stuff yeah you know how we do as we do mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah spooky stuff we are uh continuing our for the culture series throughout february as well because it was so good before because necessary you know why ever stop talking about it yeah exactly um I feel that way. Mm-hmm. Well, we had that list. We were looking and we switched out a few films while we were planning this and then kind of stumbled upon a few others that I really wanted to capture. Uh, and so we took a chance yeah. <laughs> on them took to a learn some things. On take learning things and loving things. Take a chance on learning. Yeah, Remember we used to sing all the time? I do. <laughs> it's when happiness yeah. was in our lives. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When we could go outside, and you know, we weren't afraid of other people. Things were nice. And to this day, I can't hear the uh, kiss song, like "One Kiss" is all it takes from Dua Lipa. I can't hear that without thinking "Falling in Love with Snakes." (laughs) (laughs) As you should, because we should all fall in love with snakes. So, yeah, bad boy snacks Um, are the way of the future. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Um, as you saw in our January for the Culture series, we were kind of traveling the world and talking about those experiences. Today's episode, we are going to settle right here in America and talk about culture um, and some of the horrors that people are experiencing every day, even here in our own neighborhood. Yeah, big excitement. Systematic <laughs> oppression. Woo-hoo. Oh no, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's a bad, bad time, uh, and it you know takes on new forms. So we wanted to you know dive into this to show you like we are not exempt just by covering all those other cultures. Doesn't mean that we're on some pedestal <laughs> that's not nope. doing stuff that deserves criticism. Yeah. Um, so today we're going to be talking about Vampires versus the Bronx, which is a new Netflix film. Um, that is definitely a kid's film yes. about gentrification. Yes. Is it the only... Okay. It wasn't like... So as an adult watching it, you're like, ah. But if I was a child watching it, I feel like it would be the equivalent of what I thought Spy Kids was. Or I'd be like, this is fun. Vampires, children, or like Hocus Pocus, you know, like the excitement mm-hmm. surrounding that. Yeah. But with like people of color at the front, <laughs> which yeah. is nice. Well, what's... I mean, Spy Kids... That's true. You're right. You're right. That was a Latinx family. That was you can't, my... don't go trying to erase my, my padre. You're right. You're right. To, you know? I'm All saying I'm saying that. is I saw Spy Kids 24 times, like in theaters. My granddad would take me because it was the only movie I ever wanted to see. And if you went during the day on the weekdays, it was like cheaper. <laughs> yeah. And every time he hung out with me, we would just go see whatever Spy Kids movie was in theaters because it was my favorite thing. <laughs> Antonio Banderas is the dad, right? I think so. I'm because not good at names. I rem- 
when when I was younger, I remember my sister watching it and she was really, really little. Mm-hmm. And she like he came on the screen and my sister was like, Oh, my dad. Oh. And my mom was like, <laughs> my mom was like, Yes. That is your <laughs> that dad. That is your father. <laughs> like, good job. Good <laughs> job. Kind of look like him. So yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, and I just, and that's one of those things where it's just like, oh. They look like us. Like, it's so yeah, nice. It's a big um, deal. Which is one of the the highlights of this film um, that we'll talk about. But Kat is going to take us over to the facts corner to talk about what gentrification is, what redlining is, uh, what all the other, you know, real life systematic things that are happening um, yeah. that the kids are actually fighting, not just vampires, in that film. Yeah, I will say the one thing this film is not as subtle uh, which is one of its like amusing traits uh, in that it's talking about very real things as most of our films end up doing. Uh, but we're talking about vampires versus the Bronx in our history corner today. And they're, as I said, not so cuddle, subtle call outs of gentrification, redlining and white people's long history of erasing black history, black and brown people's history. Um, so what we see in vampire in the Bronx is another example of white people sucking the life and culture out of BIPSC communities. And, Get it? And, yeah. <laughs> Cause they're vamp. Cause they're vampires. You know what vampires are generally? Very pale. Like me, unfortunately. But here we are. Uh, (laughs) Many have heard of gentrification before because it's like every magazine and newspaper headline about Mm -hmm. cities because it's like, yay, gentrification or oh no, gentrification for the ones that are like more aware of what it actually is. Um, So we're going to give a little like overview of what that is, what it stems from and like what has been happening across the United States for a long time. Um, So if you haven't heard of gentrification, well, you're late, but also it's basically generally used. It's like as well to do white people uh, invade already established POC and BOPSC communities and save them by bringing in hipster stores dedicated to selling random non-essential items like butter or typewriters uh, at exorbitant prices. And essentially as real estate developers going in, buying out the entire area and changing Mm -hmm. it with this like real gross white savior complexy time that's totally like hypocritical and like a euphemism because that's not what they're doing. Um, They're just buying out well-established communities, uh, their businesses and making it like a, I guess like taking places that were once redlined and turning them into like what redline is defined as is basically like not safe for white people is what like the maps did. So Mm -hmm. they're making them safe for white people and like basically sucking them and all of their culture and like positive things out of those communities uh, through buyouts and pricing out. Mm -hmm. More safe spaces. Mm -hmm. It's it's like, it's like the United States isn't built around white supremacy or something. It's like everywhere (laughs) is safe for white, but we have to take every space apparently um but yeah (laughs) happy notes there are lots of things that influence this and it's often seen in neighborhoods that were previously redlined because redlining legally now is illegal uh which is what happened with the i think the fair housing act in like the 1960s uh but that's like recent so if you don't know what redlining is it's the systemic 
denial of various services or goods by federal government agencies, local government, or private sector, either directly or through the selective raising of prices. This is often manifested by placing strict criteria on specific services and goods that are often disadvantaging poor and minority communities, which I pulled from Wikipedia. Uh, Essentially... Areas where black families and other POC groups lived were deemed dangerous and on maps were outlined with red lines um, and basically were considered unlivable or unsafe for white people to do business. Uh, Now those places are being targeted by big real estate companies. We see this in Philadelphia, um, around the Temple area. We see it in South Philly with Ori Feibush and his little OCF realty um, Mm -hmm. and other just like big real estate companies going into communities like Fishtown, uh, uh, Southwest Philly. We have like West Philly in general. And then we have like North Philly, um, all kind Mm -hmm. of being invaded by these real estate companies claiming like they make big donations to schools and stuff. Uh, but then they just like totally price out the communities that live and go to those schools. So like, does it equal out? No. Well, even some of the schools are at fault, like temple being an alum, like they had a lot of pushback because they were trying to build their stadium and it ended up like, you know, trying to buy entire neighborhoods in North Philadelphia. And like that, even like I visited North Philly, you know, recently, and it has changed even more drastically from when I went years ago, like as a student, like it, and then it was already different at that time. So it's just like, imagine what it'll look like in a few years. And if there is a stadium there, like that community is gone, is erased. Yeah. And it kind of ties into this defamation of like black and brown people's characters through the press. It like, Mm -hmm. they kind of tie in hand in hand. So you have big real estate companies, like partnering essentially with press and like local newspapers and big newspapers to make it seem like these areas need gentrification. They need their properties bought out because there's nothing but violence and drugs and like other just like oftentimes not true things. And if there are some of those things, it's like blown up out of proportion. Like Mm -hmm. any little incident is a big situation. Um, And they kind of partner to make these areas like they just defame like black culture and like a lots of uh, Hispanic communities or uh, Asian communities, especially in like South Philly. That's like something that happens all the time where they try to yeah. encourage like uh, people from outside the city. So you had like the white flight back in the day. Now they're all coming back to Philly and going, trying to go to their neighborhood school because it's better than going to the private schools because they now realize like that it was inherently racist to not go to your neighborhood school. <laughs> um, so now they are, but like the catch 22 is then they're starting as like groups to fund and influence the school through their money, uh, which basically just like makes the school what they want it to be and does not consider the black and brown families that go to the school. Um, Mm -hmm. generally, uh, there are positive things that come out of it. Sometimes you get like new schoolyards and things like that, but it's like those things should have already been financial investments yeah. by the community. It shouldn't just be because these white people came in um, and just like rich people. It's like a class issue as well. Um, came mm-hmm. in and were like, we need our schools to be nicer for my kids. It's like, they should have been nicer in the first place. We shouldn't have libraries yeah. with books from the like twenties. It should um, be nice for all the kids. Yes. And it should have been like, and also a lot of schools have like really strong community 
like investments like there there have really mm-hmm. strong community community bases and like cultural strongholds for these communities and then like they get whitewashed by these like new people coming in um because like the financial backing generally is through the gentrification end and it's gross um but there are positive things that happen because like schools getting more financial things is positive but if there's not if it's only benefiting certain groups then it's like obviously like putting those groups in bad places um Mm -hmm. and for context i worked in the philadelphia school district for like five years so yeah (laughs) i know i work in public access Uh, (laughs) it's like we we both know what's going on in these communities um but not to speak from experience not to just talk about philly though because uh vampires versus bronx happens in new york and new york has a super long history as well as most of this country as it is deeply rooted in racism and white supremacy so in an article titled the death of the black utopia which i pulled from a video that gabe shared with me which i definitely had seen before um but it was one of the articles linked in the video uh basically talking about the erasure of Seneca village, which is in New York Mm -hmm. and used to exist where like central park was like before central park existed, essentially there's like the West end of central park, um, that used to have like a strong black community that was totally just like erased. Um, And this article is written by Brent Staples. And as he kind of goes on, he claims that there's this historical embrace of willful amnesia around this specific area when it comes to the erasure of black communities in New York City. Um, He's specifically referring to Seneca Village, an epicenter of black political power in Manhattan during the mid-19th century, a community that was destroyed through intentional evictions of over 1,600 people who lived on the land designated to become Central Park's West Edge. Uh, Despite the established community filled with schools, homes, businesses, and more real estate interests, and the press set the state basically intentional removal, and they use the press to, like, defame this community and make it seem like no one lived there or, like, racism played a part in basically, like, saying that, like, because Black people live there, it didn't need to exist. It didn't need to be saved. Um, and the act, despite the fact that it was published in the press, was very well documented. But 15 years later, it was kind of like everyone forgot. They found like two bodies in there and they were like, why is there a black person buried in Central Park? This is so strange. It's, yeah. it's almost like a whole community used to be here and it was erased. Yeah, and they, like, covered it up to be like, oh, we're making this green space. Like, everyone loves Central Park. And totally just like like and and it it is like a the whole of like what gentrification is right it's just Mm -hmm. like we're repairing we're like fixing this place right like we're giving them a garden we're giving them yoga studios like this is all for the betterment of the community forgetting like whose community is this better for yes um and like when you're pushing out the people who are here that's not helping anyone and the reason why i thought of that video um was because there's like a line in the film that literally like they say like we chose the bronx because no one will even know that you're gone Mm-hmm. Like no one will notice. And I was like, that's exactly Seneca Village. No one noticed. Like, what else don't we know? Like Tulsa, we don't know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it, I mean, it's something that is kind of like historically present in all of American history is like the willful amnesia on like the end of white people um, that has like cut black achievements out of history for years. 
Um, mm-hmm. As you said, Tulsa, like Juneteenth, other intentional erasures of Black history, news of this like isn't shocking, but it's angering that like people are doing this. So this is something that's not unique to Seneca Village and is something that real estate developers have tried to do countless times to black and brown communities across New York City, along with just like defamation in the press to justify the acts. There's a long history of racially motivated domestic terrorism acts against black communities by white citizens. So I recommend reading the article because and watching the YouTube video because I can only give some of my history section to this and it should get like an entire... It probably has books. There's probably books. Yeah. Like dedicated to this. Uh, So definitely read it. Um, This is something that took place like in the late 1800s. So it is really just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to New York City's long history of erasing black communities. Uh, And this country has a trend of intentionally segregating and disenfranchising black and POC communities for white benefit. And that history extends into current times. So, you know, happy. What does this have to do with about like right now with with COVID and Mm -hmm. the pandemic and the fact that so many are unemployed and unable to go to work for risks uh, or just that those jobs aren't available anymore. Those aren't even feasible. And Mm -hmm. so like the, the fact that we don't have, you know, supports or things in place to protect people. And so it is becoming easier to erase entire neighborhoods now, like, and to buy mm-hmm. them out and just kick, where do they go? No one cares. Because people it's don't, just, like, people are just so financially strained too, like, worse, uh, like, as bad as I think as the Great Depression. So, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. It's easier to take people out because they're even more, like, facing hardship than they were previously. Um, yeah, and it's one out of, like, a million things happening right now, so it's so mm-hmm. easy to, like, not even notice. Yeah, no, that's totally true. Um, so what does this have to do with vampires in the Bronx? There are countless call-outs of gentrification throughout the film that are so on the nose it made researching this episode pretty easy. So gentrification stems from segregation, redlining, and the erasure of POC communities. Now, redlining did not end until 1968. Yay, I was right when I said it earlier. Look at my brain. When the Fair Housing Bill was passed, uh, redlining laws were still actively hurting these communities. And I read another article titled Redlining was banned 50 years ago, but it's still hurting minorities today by Tracy Jan. Um, And there was a study done by the National Community Reinvestment Coalition that shows the vast majority of neighborhoods marked hazardous in red ink on maps drawn by the federal homeowners loan corp from 1935 to 1939 are today much more likely than any other areas to be comprised of lower income minority residents the article goes on to quote another member of the ncrc jason richardson um it's as if some of these places have been trapped in the past, locking neighborhoods into concentrated poverty. So these neighborhoods are mostly comprised of African-Americans, Catholics, Jewish people, and immigrants from Asia and South Europe. Uh, they are deemed undesirable, in quotes. Uh, as a researcher from the NCRC named Bruce Mitchell described it, anyone who was not Northern European white was considered a detraction from the value in the area. So when they started doing redlining, areas that kind of come to mind uh, Flint, Michigan is one of them, famously known for today still having unclean water. And there are many other areas that became populated by minority groups and low-income residents after middle-class white flight took place, moving white people to the suburbs and out of the cities. Um, 
There's another study in Baltimore, 2015 study of home and small business lendings found that race more than income impacted mortgage lending in the city. Lending was greater in neighborhoods with larger white populations and banks making more than twice as many mortgages loans to whites than black Americans. Uh, so while gentrification increased the income level of previously redlined communities and decreased the segregation between white and black Americans, there was increase in economic inequality between newcomers and those who historically lived there. So I saw that a lot in Philadelphia in that like you had areas that like had all these new people moving in who mm -hmm. Because of privilege and white supremacy had significantly more money um, and were buying houses that were made to look like space houses from yeah. Mars for the like the most money for no reason. Like houses do not need to be this much money, especially ones that are like crumbling and don't have like proper plumbing and are made of like cardboard yeah, paper. Um, and look like they're from space. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, they were buying these like crazy expensive houses and like these businesses were coming in and like buying out the neighborhood, basically making it so the rent would go up just so much. And it's like, they're trying to make Philly like New York and New York already has so many problems. Like, no, <laughs> don't try to make Philly, New York. It's not the same, but also like the yeah, whole process the that's been taking place in New York. Big yeah. city. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> can't do that. And like the only reason New York's rent prices are as high as they are is because of what has been happening for so long with this gentrification process, with this like outpricing neighborhoods and making things expensive for no reason. I mean, if you think of money, it's a construct. Nothing has to cost as much as it is. It's literally supply and demand. So these real estate companies are faking this demand, you know, mm. like they're raising prices specifically with the goal of one, making money, which understandable, I guess, in a capitalistic society, but specifically to outprice the people who already live there because they can still consider them, despite they can't do redlining anymore because it is illegal, um, they still consider them as a detraction from the value of the community. So they're able to do this through gentrification because basically they go in and just take out everything that makes the neighborhood like what it was. And they try to transform it and they use the press to make it seem like this needs to be transformed when the transformation is just making these spaces like white and empty and basically like outpricing all the people who've lived there for years. Um, so they're in the article. It kind of says rent increases make it possible for longtime residents in these communities to remain in the air make it impossible for them to remain in the area. So the man who spoke before Mitchell, who I previously quoted said, is gentrification promoting sustainable desegregation or is it just a movement towards increased segregation in the next census period? Which I would argue, yes, because if we're living in a white supremacist based country that is economically motivated by that, uh, you're basically going to push those people out and it's going to continue to create segregation between black and brown families with white families. Um, so how I interpret this is white people returning to their colonizing roots by going into communities that previously deemed unlivable and claiming them like safe spaces for them that they need more of and saving the people who live there, which who, who can't live there for however long because they end up getting priced out. So the reality is they're actively hurting the communities that they've been hurting for hundreds of years while simultaneously claiming to be their savior, a.k.a white privilege uh and aka messed up <laughs> and it's largely what this film is trying to call out similar 
to like we kind of get this like really on the nose version of it and it's definitely hokey but what it's saying is very real and very true um if anything the main vampire masquerading as an ally is like a really key indicator of that mm-hmm. pretending to care about the communities that they're in to, while also like actively like destroying them like there's no real love of the communities there's like this fake like look at me be woke. I'm going to go help these kids. And it's like, really, I'm only helping them so that I can take them out later. Uh, mm-hmm. And honestly, I've met countless women like the main character, <laughs> the main vampire in this film, uh, who basically would like come into schools and be like, we need this for this so that they're competitive. It's like, but like, <laughs> you're not listening to any of the people who've been here for like 40 years essentially like they're just coming in wanting their like white stuff all yeah. up in these schools and they're like putting money behind it to get the principal on their side um and it's gross yeah that's my rant <laughs> but i wrote up a whole blog on this so if i was talking really fast and you have no idea what i was saying <laughs> I recommend checking it out because you can just read it. Um, and I did a lot of research. I have a lot of links. I did not quote every single link that I read. So I recommend reading them yourself because they're great. And we need to like take care of people and not push them out of where they are. Like if we're going to push people into an area and be like, no one can be here. Like don't take those places too. Mm-hmm. like let people get a foothold somewhere. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's the whole time, man. Yes, it is the whole time. Thank so, you, Kat, for History Corner. Um, but as you were talking about uh, the the film Vampires versus the Bronx, um, which is what we're going to explore, because uh, like, like you said, it's very on the nose, <laughs> isn't even trying. Um, so I'll tell you what Vampires versus the Bronx is about. Uh, a group of young friends from the Bronx fight to save their neighborhood from gentrification and vampires, uh, directed by Asmani Rodriguez. So, um, yeah. Like I said, not subtle at all. Definitely a kid's movie about gentrification. Um, And if you go into it with that idea of like a kid's movie, I think it comes out okay. Um, I think it's kind of missing a little of the charm that a lot of young movies have. Um, Some people like compare it to like Goonies or something, but it didn't quite have the heart I feel like a lot of kids movies have had and so for that it's kind of missing it's missing a little bit um but it it, it is you know looking to teach young people about gentrification and to overall like love where you're from and appreciate this home Mm -hmm. and and the people who are in it um I think it does have a bit of heart in there like it does try um and it means well (laughs) despite falling short in in so many ways um throughout this film and even like before I like selected it I couldn't help but compare it to Attack the Block um and Mm -hmm. uh, which is a, a UK film that we covered um previously in our Aliens episode last year um it was an instant favorite of ours it's yeah you know, it was fantastic john boyega as a young boy and his you know company of his his band of <laughs> youths uh fighting against uh, alien invaders but also confronting some real toxic and problematic issues in their community um mm-hmm. while they're doing that and like that it 
it's also not subtle. Like there's a lot of on the nose, just like, you know, monologues that come with it, but it still felt organic um, and full in a way that wasn't so much like it was trying to shove it in your face uh, in mm-hmm. this film. Um, so I, I really did go into this film with a lot of hope and like excitement and then was like my balloon mm-hmm. like quickly deflated. Uh, and I just had to keep, yeah. like, saying, like, oh, this is a kid's film. <laughs> like, this is for young people and maybe they learn something. Um, yeah. But I feel like, you know, if you're going into this looking to, like, scratch your Youth Inspires Revolution itch, you're not going to find it here. Trust, bro. Yeah, it's it's not a tactile. <laughs> yeah, I ain't even lying. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was very cute, but it was not a tactile. Yeah, and... and you know, like it, you can't really get another attack the block. It's so unique and yeah. um, and there I'm unfortunately going to compare it quite a few times just because I feel like if you're going to do this theme, like here's mm-hmm. a, the way that it was done correctly, and here's like where it's, I feel like it's falling short. And not to say like it should have followed the same model, um, but there are things in it that I feel like it was lacking. Um, one thing I did love, um, and like we kind of mentioned at the beginning of this episode, uh, was this like Afro-Latinx community um, mm-hmm. that was like brought to life. It was so nice to hear like this bilingual community as like little mayors walking through and, uh, you know, being able to, yeah. to intermittently speak Spanish and English and to like mm-hmm. see that there's a mix like he has a bobby his black friend and then uh i'm totally blanking on his name louise the kid with the glasses mm-hmm. who is, i forgot his name as well uh, louise i think uh and he uh is spanish and so uh i think he was like colombian maybe no they kept calling him puerto rican okay because i got excited <laughs> pretty sure they called him puerto rican a bunch uh so that was like really genuine and I think sweet Mm -hmm. I think tying it together with him trying to save the local bodega there's like that little communication where they have like the the bodega cat uh and later once the gentrification is kind of underway the cat isn't there anymore because they're like I got caught for a health violation and it's just like oh how could you take a bodega cat cat? (laughs) yeah um and I I I did love parts of that environment and I did love the little like teasers of who these people were. Um, but they all did feel like characters. Like I never really felt like they were real. Um, even yeah. like the moms really much felt like just like someone wrote what they, ima- they imagine moms are like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. uh, and, and the, it was kind of weird. Um, I did think of in the beginning when he's kind of walking through, it made me think of Miles Morales in uh, Spider-Verse because like he's Afro-Latinx. And so to have like when he was going through his New York town and talking like his little neighborhood and talking about like, you know, the (laughs) Spanglish and like, you know, the community that felt lively, that felt real, even though it is animated. And that felt more (laughs) like realistic to me than this film. Um, Yeah. And it's kind of like, I, I guess, what I was hoping for throughout the entirety of the film, being that it's named Vampires versus the Bronx, was that at some point we would get this rising up of the neighborhood fighting against yeah. the vampires. Like I, I was thinking like the first purge where we saw like the, you know, the gang and the people who live in this project, the projects like trying their best to fight back against their villain right um Mm -hmm. or i think of um 
which we kind of we kind of got a version of this. I think of the ending of People Under the Stairs, where Point Dexter okay. is like grabbed by father which is the the evil guy (laughs) in leather uh and the neighborhood is out there and they're like you mess with the wrong neighborhood right like and and that was like that is this film (laughs) but like horror right um and so and that felt real like i loved that even though it was only there for like a minute in people under the stairs like they just showed up to like help point dexter it still felt authentic with this i was like yeah they're here and they didn't do nothing <laughs> like why are they here like they believe the mom all of a sudden and i just kind of miss that um like opportunity i guess like there's a few times where yeah. they like hinted that we were gonna see uh, some heroes some unlikely heroes like the young girl i think her name is gloria no the other one um, who is like, she makes a joke about how she's not afraid of the vampires because she's Haitian. So I was like, oh, cool. She's going to have like cool, like Haitian, like, like contraptions to like attack them. Right. Like, and that would be cool. Right. Or like her grandmother is going to show up with her and she didn't like, they didn't even think to invite her like later. Yeah. And I was like, that's so rude. Like where, why? So like that felt sad. It felt like they spent so much time, being like gentrification is bad that they miss like the actual like line of this is like a kid's fighting back adventure movie like monster movie yeah. right um and i also was like with the parents like i wanted more from them i wanted more compassion from the moms and more care like i feel like bobby's mom kind of gives them a one-off line of like don't be like your father but it didn't feel real (laughs) like I felt like she honestly didn't care she's like you're gonna become like him and that's I guess that sucks um it didn't like I didn't feel like he was gonna try to do something for her like I didn't feel like he was actually struggling at all um in in kind of that way which is like again to kind of bring in attack the block uh they were not good kids like at the beginning right like they were products of their environment and that made them very real like these kids are good kids like just genuinely like sweet kids follow the rules which is lovely um but they didn't really have anything to fight against besides like the overall like gentrification is bad um it does have yeah. uh Jesus and Miro uh in there i forget what his name was in it the the owner of the the bodega Andy? no I forget. Uh, but he's forget. in it, and I thought he was charming. I thought it, I, I enjoyed his character, and I felt for him. And he was, like, the only one I really did because he just seemed real. Uh, but even He was s- a good actor. You have that moment when she enters the uh, the bodega, and he's like, <laughs> like, she just walks in, and he's like, we have hummus now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we yeah. Have, we, have, we have other things that I know white people like. Uh, <laughs> it was hysterical. Like, that was my favorite part. Like, it ended with, like, the saddest part of the movie, but it was also just, like, really funny. There were, like, little bits that were cute. Like, there was little commentary throughout. Like, there's those two dudes who are, like, chilling Uh outside, and there's, like, a sign up behind them. I forget what the sign said. It was, like, forks and... Or, like... I forget, but he was like, yeah, I know. Confusing, right? Is it a clothing store or a restaurant? Like, because it's one of those, like, vague, like, uh, yeah, like, what is <laughs> gentrified here? store? Yeah. Or, like, stores for, like, one thing. Like, it's a, like, we sell a typewriter store <laughs> on yep. right across from the Pope in Philadelphia. And I hate it's it. It's like, <laughs> who has money for typewriters? Why? What is the, where is the, 
you know, I guess they're cheaper than computers. But if they're not, then it's like, why? But you can't like why email exist? your typewritten script to anybody. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not. That's fair. Like where it won't help anyone with virtual school. Where's the demand for typewriters that we need an entire store? That's all I want to know. Yeah. Right. You could order them probably <laughs> somewhere else. It's like you don't need a whole store anyway. And it lasted way too much, like so much longer than it really ideally should have. Um. Which means someone was buying it. And that makes me even more mad <laughs> about the neighborhood. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think the best part of this film, besides like those little parts, was actually the live streaming of Gloria, who's like throughout yes. was popping in and would be like, hey, have you seen that there's missing posters everywhere? Uh, oh, I thought like, you know, these buildings are supposed to help the neighborhood. How come they're buying out all our people? We I can't even go get my nails done anymore. Like... Yeah, the th- like the things that, you know, as a young person, she's noticing and asking questions. And then like, nothing ever really happens. Like I was waiting for her to like break the case. I was ready for her to come through and be like, I've been telling you <laughs> that this is what's going on. Um, and she was just kind of there to, to be another mouthpiece for like, hey, isn't this messed up? Um, and her just like, pretty much all the other female characters in this film are really left out and don't have any genuine strength or power throughout it um I yeah feel they're like, kind of created as like tools or accessories to the three boys yeah and it's like we like in again sorry in attack the block we have like the female characters that like he is like pining after but they were very real because she like confronts him and like holds him mm-hmm. accountable for his actions outside of the aliens like she's like first of all <laughs> You messed up a long time ago and now it's following you like you you brought death into my house and like mm. she was powerful in her own right and the crew of them were powerful in their own right like they didn't need them they're like i'll show up and fight my own battles but you need to go yeah so they're like there and then they're not mm-hmm. um and that just kind of made me sad because there was like all these little teasers of like <laughs> Especially the Haitian line. Like, that really got me because I was like, oh, we're going to see, like, it's gonna be finally, so exciting. Mm-hmm. you're going to show us that other cultures know about vampires and can fight about them. Like, we don't have to just use crucifixes, like, <laughs> you know? And, like, there's a part of that where we got, you know, uh, which, like, hit me in the feels was the adobo and, like, mm-hmm. using that because it has garlic. And I was like, that's cute. That's a cute little thing. I just wish it wasn't, like, the only thing I enjoyed. <laughs> Like, you know, Um, I also felt like the kids were a bit a little bit like cardboard cutout. Yeah. Like, I think they would have benefited from more kids instead of just the three or if we spent more time fleshing out each of them. Maybe even if they had a girl that was in their crew, like that would be great. Um, But I wasn't like as invested in them as I was for the kids in Attack the Block, even though they were evil or, or not evil, but like bad, right? Yeah. Like, like as soon as, as soon as we meet them, we know they're bad, but well, I was they were so like, like well-rounded. I think like they had a lot of solid character development that was lacking here. Um, yeah. You, as you said, they're like cardboard cutouts of like the idea and yeah. not so much like f- well fleshed out characters on screen. Yeah. I think there's also like, so with like the kids in Attack the Block or even the kids in Tigers Are Not Afraid from last week or it even, right? Like all of those kids were a little bit more mature too because of the worlds that they're living in and the realities that they have to face. And these kids also have those, like they are safe and they do have, you know, 
some amount of support and like a, a safety net around them. But overall, like they are still going through some stuff. The fact that Bobby is like his father died and by like just random gun violence. And we got that as an offhanded, like whatever comment aimed to hurt him. And then it was brushed off. And yeah. the fact that like his mom brought it up for a second. And then he's like in there with these, like with this gang who are honestly kind of nice. <laughs> like, and yeah. we're not really a threat at all. I never felt like he was anything and, and not any fault on that actor. It was really just like, it wasn't written. Like they didn't give him yeah. anything. Well, so I there was, was no like, stakes. Bobby was one of my favorite actors. Like he did a really good job, like acting with what he had, but I agree mm -hmm. with you. It was not written to give him enough to work with. Like I was, when he was handed the gun, like you could see genuine fear in his eye. Like he was good at acting. It just, it mm -hmm. was like, there were a handful of moments where I guess like his shine could have been written in there and it wasn't. Uh, yeah yeah i think like i because th with that like with his storyline right i think back yeah. to the first purge where like the young bull uh isaiah yeah and how he's like kind of going he's getting involved for reasons and you get his idea of the reasons and yeah. you know the risk and you know that it's like not cut and dry of like oh he is being bad right and that's what i think like i enjoyed about Attack the Block and First Purge is that they took these like decisions and lifestyles and didn't like demonize them. They weren't villainized or yeah. romanticized, uh, but they were acknowledged like in their complexity. Like this is like these people chose this lifestyle because it's what they have. Like they don't have a lot of choices and this is what they're doing. Like showing, you know, that in the First Purge that the head of like the gangs also was like in the community <laughs> like he was in the community service like teaching kids how to play basketball like yeah i mean it was really just like he was drawing the parallel you know like because that's like what they like in there's like studies done though basically like line up why gangs are a thing especially in communities that don't have well-funded clubs and like after school programs because there's this need for community and yeah. gangs provide that like they're not just all like horrible people like there's a sense of like community sisterhood brotherhood like established in the creation of gangs like you're looking out for each other like that yeah. is the idea behind it so like there's like a definite defamation of gangs in general when there are elements to it that are very much just like a camaraderie point mm -hmm. yeah because it's like that's like you have somewhere to belong you have, mm -hmm. you're surrounded by people who understand you and that will help you that will come out and be your support system uh, and in, in a, a place world, where there isn't one yeah like in a world that like actively puts like black people in danger like and brown people in danger in america like that is a safety net like a community to feel safe in and like that backs you up because you know the police won't so mm -hmm. yeah yeah and like in attack the block we get a monologue from uh, young Boyega where he like expresses like you know what I bet the government sent the aliens like mm -hmm. they've already sent drugs they've already sent guns into this community I won't be surprised if that was ultimately what their goal was and yeah. like that was like one of the on the nose like I am confronting this issue um but it it felt genuine and it was real and it was this understanding on the part of that child um of the realities of the world around him and being like too mature for his age that we don't get from little mayor. Like he's like, Oh, gentrification's happening. But it really felt like he heard about it on TikTok and was like, it's bad. 
So I'm going to, you know, do this whole thing, which is like cute, but I, it, it kind of felt like a, like a show almost. Yeah. And they were young. They were like Disney Channel young. Uh, mm-hmm. Like they were definitely like very young kids. They were younger than the Attack the Block group. I would, I would argue younger than uh, it cast. Like they seemed very genuinely like little kids. Like yeah. had to be like fourth, fifth grade. Uh, yeah. maybe older in real life, but like per- the portrayal of them is definitely like they are young. Yeah, for sure. I think it's just like some of the written, like for for this film being like all in your face with mm-hmm. its political statements, I still feel like it missed the sincerity of this neighborhood yeah. that was being hunted and attacked long before the vampires even showed up. Yeah. And 100%. like that's unfortunate that like they kind of skipped out on that so i also found an article um as we do on wired titled vampires versus the bronx is a kids movie about class warfare by emma gray ellis and there is a discussion about vampire monsters in film as a whole like what what they mean when they show up um and we've covered vampires in the past and usually are talking more about like <laughs> the nuances of being a, a forever super emotional human yeah. and what its effects have on your love life uh, <laughs> and romantic relationships because it gets kind of messy and that's usually what they're there for. Yeah. Um, but similar to zombies, uh, the fanged beasts ha- kind of seem to recur during certain circumstances in our real world um, and serve purposes on screen to alleviate some of the the tra- trauma that we're dealing with um, yeah. in our real lives. And so in this article, uh, Emma Gray Ellis says, vampire stories seem to do best in times of economic downturn. They peaked first around the Great Depression with the classic old Hollywood films, and then again in the 1960s and 70s when recession and the Cold War made an Eastern European villain especially appealing. Twilight hit theaters in 2008, just in time for the financial crisis. Maybe this happens because the Dracula story can be understood as a kind of class struggle. Karl Marx certainly read it that way. Capital is soaked with bloody vampire metaphors. Capital is dead labor. That, vampire-like, only lives by sucking living labor and lives the more, the more labor it sucks, Marx writes. So Mm -hmm. maybe vampires trend when middle and working class people feel like the rich are trying to suck the life out of them in one way or another. Yeah, that's super real. <laughs> Sorry, hold on. My cat is in the way. Charlie, go. Um, <laughs> so we found that, you know, zombie films tend to erupt during certain times of crisis related to epidemics. So mm-hmm. I imagine we'll have many zombie films in the next few years. Sure uh, will. <laughs> as well as like war um, or uh, capitalism <laughs> like mm-hmm. things like that like when those kind of uh, issues are popping up we see films like that so whereas zombies represent our fear of conformity and mindless labor vampires as described by emma gray ellis seem to exist as a placeholder for the larger villain which isn't ourselves but rather those in power so instead of us kind of like conforming and becoming one of many we're just being completely taken out um because there is a uh you know, a hierarchy yeah. and we are acknowledging we are at the bottom rung of that hierarchy yeah. uh, and the end is coming for us. Right. Um, Emma continues to say in this article, uh, the innovation of vampires versus the Bronx is that not only are the vampires emblematic of class tensions, they're also evidence of how racism pop 
props up those systems of social and economic oppression. Mm -hmm. The vampires are extremely white and blonde to boot. The main vamps are block party Becky and a guy who dresses like he'd be a little too into the classics. They aren't just real estate moguls, the landed gentry of our age. They're gentrifying real estate moguls, specifically targeting neighborhoods and people of color because they think no one will care if they disappear. Um, And I do appreciate, like this unabashed bold approach to exclusively mm-hmm. white vampires like and the comparison to the kids looking up to blade um as like a a black vampire hunter right yeah um that was exciting and i i did enjoy that i thought it was cute um and similar to blood quantum like not holding back on just being like white equals bad <laughs> you know yeah. like well, these are the villains we're not even pretending that they could be anything else uh very on the nose and you know yeah. i knew from the beginning that block party becky or i think her name is vivian uh was no good mm-hmm. um i think when we were watching it i yelled to cat that she was like rose from get out yes i was yep. like she about to be like picking her eating her fruit loops and drinking her milk separately all weird uh because <laughs> like you're already kind of trained to be to know like that there are no allies like like you said she was like pretending to be an ally like she, when she meets them she says like oh i was priced out of my neighborhood and then later she says to them like i don't want the bronx like to leave i want you to preserve what it's like because like essentially like i want you to keep this redlined so then people don't notice that it's gone, right? Like, I don't want to erase, like, (laughs) I don't want you guys to lose who you are. You're the perfect victim. I need you to stay that. Uh, And I thought that was, like, one of the the biggest statements. Like, her character, as, like, on the nose and silly as it was, was, like, like, charming in a way. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. (laughs) Like, she isn't, like, pretending at all. Um, And for kids to, like, like the the fact that they believed her, except for Bobby, who was like, she gonna call cops. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, real talk, this is not, she's not a friend. Um, But the other ones being like, oh, like, maybe, oh, Vivian, like, the vampires are here. We need your help. Like, those kinds of things. Um, Only for her to, like, turn on them. Like, I believe that. And I did enjoy that. And then there was, like, the really hokey... Not even remotely Lost Boys like uh, <laughs> vampires, uh, but um, I think that this film overall does work to address concerns. And given that it is a children's film, I think it's a great tool to teach about gentrification for sure. Um, like, I, I, but the the catch here is that it teaches gentrification to white kids because yeah. the children represented in this film already know about gentrification they already know what's happening in their neighborhoods they are not blind they are like gloria who are walking around live streaming or making tiktoks or like tweeting and talking about what's happening in their areas and being real and confronting it right so if you wanted someone to learn this is very clearly a film that is designed for kids who are on the outside who don't know and could possibly in the future be aware of that and help change it yeah and so I feel like, you know, that uh, it, it, for that, <laughs> there is that benefit, right? I think for it sure. does do its job. Um, I hope that if a kid, you know, kids who, who watch it, who are represented in this film, if they, that they see themselves as, as the heroes who are able to combat these white monstrous vampires um, and not feel 
still neglected at the end of the day. Like, I yeah. hope it does serve that itch of like, oh, I'm on screen. That person looks like me to get that same thrill I had about Adobo or even just like have little retorts uh, like my sister did for Spy Kids. Right. Yeah. Um, but also like serve as like maybe getting more allies. Um, for sure. Who can see it. Who aren't the vampire lady, but who are like real allies, like other yeah, white can kid, see like what, kids. Exactly. <laughs> they know? can see what it is to be not good so that they yeah. know to like do better. Exactly. 100%. Um, so with that being said, what are ratings? <laughs> um, if you don't like it, it's gentrifying communities. It could be if, a, a barbecue Betty or whatever. <laughs> Becky. Oh, um, barbecue Becky. Is she the yeah. one who brings a uh, potato salad with raisins? Yeah. Got you. <laughs> it's going to be barbecue Following. and calls the cops because you're being too loud in the park. Oh, she ain't even invited. Okay. Got it. Yeah, she ain't invited. She ain't invited. That's why it's that's if you true. don't like it because that's Vivian. She was barbecue yep. Becky. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if you do like it, it's Bodega Cat. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's Save Bodega Cats. Um, yeah, save them. They're so cute. Oh, Charlie. She's Charlie like, wants to be a cats, bodega cat. She just has dreams. You can go dreams. get fat and get pets from random people. Um, so, Kat, for the topic of gentrification, redlining, and all the other horrific things you talked about in your section. Barbecue Becky, because it sucks. Yeah, but people need to know bad. about it, so, like, learn. No stuff. Don't be yeah. Indian. Yeah. And, don't like, impact over intention. Things. Like, this lady, like, she clearly had bad intentions, but there are people who clearly, like, don't have the, like, knowingly, know, like, know they're the worst um, and mm -hmm. are. So it's, like, it is your responsibility to not be that person. Yeah. Well, Do it's, better. like, even in, again, Attack the Block, uh, when we have the doctor, I forget her name, but she's a doctor now, uh, her character at the beginning is, like, you know, going out, she's, like, she's... Backyard Becky or whatever I said, barbecue yeah. Becky. Um, and then slowly starts by interacting with these kids, becomes enlightened to the realities of, of their life. And so she grows as a person, whereas like uh -huh. Vivian, like she wasn't ever going to grow. Um, so well, it's yeah. like be more like the doctor from Attack the Block and not uh -huh. Vivian. There has to be um, like an acknowledgement that you're not immune to being a barbecue Becky. Like you, you mm -hmm. have to acknowledge that like i am not immune there's probably going to be a time in life where i mess up something and what you gotta do is acknowledge it be genuine and apologize and do better that is all that can happen yeah you have to so actively if you think try you're woke and you think you know everything obviously if you ever get told you're not you're gonna get hella defensive and just basically prove how much you're not so like, yeah don't like, do that say no one oh, is immune we know sorry. nothing Let we know fix. nothing yes I apologize genuinely and fix now. Do better. Never do crappy again. Yeah. I saw a thing where it was a post today where they said, like, if someone corrects you or or tells you that something you said is racist or, you know, like, wrong, uh, that that means that person cares enough to want you to be better. Mm -hmm. Like, they're taking the time to address that concern and inform you. Um, and that's a, a part of care, like, because they could just very easily just be like, nope. <laughs> goodbye blocked like i do i do that all the time i have a yeah. like block my own family like 
ain't nobody around this, right? Uh, but if you're taking the time to be like, hey, no, that's actually not cool. Here's why. So like you should take that as like, oh, you want me to be better. You care enough. And like yeah. we're human. We have flaws. And you're not mad at me for like you're un also understanding that like people grow up in certain environments and aren't educated in that yeah. way. So watch also, this movie to get educated. <laughs> if you're white and someone tells you something's racist, you you do not have the authority to say it's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's very real. You can't just be like, no, it's not. <laughs> it probably is. And even if it isn't, you are not the authority of you do not the people to say <laughs> Whether or not something is like, I'm not going <laughs> to, I can't go tell people something's not racist. Cause I, what do I know? I'm trying to know, but like, I will never be 100% cause I have lived in a life of white supremacy. That's what the world is. And mm -hmm. I can always learn yeah. new things and be wrong. So people just need to do that. And if yeah. a black person or a BIPOC or anybody tells you that you said something racist and you're a white person, do not defend yourself. <laughs> because you know that's just, yeah just that's not say what we're sorry. looking for just be like you're right i'm sorry that's like, all oh. Ooh, okay. i will never say that this. again if you need explanations yeah. you can ask for them but that's it yes you cannot deny um, so i agree cat that's sorry that's there we go that's my barbecue segue Hello. barbecue becky and for the film i think like i said at the end that it could be a tool to teach young for people sure. who don't know about these things or just like as a, a way for young kids who are featured in this film to feel seen and for that i think it is bodega cat um but you know as a film analysis <laughs> show i can't just go in there and be like it was perfect yeah uh, it definitely needed some a little more heart or a little more uh smoother <laughs> representation of what's going on uh and it, i really feel like it missed like the charm of like kids going and fighting bad guys yeah um like even the blade like them learning how to blade i was like i didn't <laughs> like it, it still felt weird like it wasn't a fun montage it should have been a fun montage yeah and then they should have done the things he says a thing from it but yeah. that was it like i feel like they should have did a thing from them anyway there was a lot of potential. It was like a big battle. There was no it's big okay, battle. But it's like, it's a step, I guess. Like, whenever we're not, like, thrilled, it's a step. It's definitely, like, the fact it exists is positive. But mm -hmm. could it have done better? Yeah. Most things. And the next one will. Yeah. That's our hope. All right. Well, as we say. Yeah. Don't get married. They'll eat your kids. They'll eat your kids. Or they'll be vampires uh, and suck the life out of your kids, which we hope not, but you know, the world. Yeah. Listen to your kids. Yeah. I thought it was weird that these parents were like either just like they were so lackluster. I was like, they should have just not been there. Like most parents <laughs> in like <laughs> those kinds of films or shows where they're just mysteriously not around. Like, I would rather that <laughs> than what they were doing, which was nothing. Yeah. Um, there was at the end, but yeah, it still wasn't. It's fine. Yeah. You wanted more of a fight back. We wanted like a rally. Like they're having a whole. Yeah, I wanted to feel that they were strong. Yeah. Like they're having a whole save this bodega thing. That would like yeah. they were doing it, but then they just didn't show it. It was sad. It yeah. Was, yeah. It could be good. Sad. It's okay. Yeah. Next time. Well, <laughs> Yes. On Dragon Ball uh, Z. This one was 
This one was fun. Next week is going to be really sad. So just be prepared. Um, yes. Remember to like and subscribe, Do share, it. read our blog, show us some love, give us some reviews. We really love that. Comment down below if you um, have thoughts uh, or shoot us, you know, slide into your DMs, whatever you want to do. Um, Please like and subscribe. Specifically for the ghouls content, not for anything else. Please read our <laughs> Stay blogs. Out of the DMs. We work so yeah. hard on them. Mm -hmm. It's like yes. me using my history degree. It's my favorite. Yeah, I like the show, show too, but you know, writing. <laughs> All right, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye.